Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 64 for September 29th, 2011. Alright, so we are continuing our journey into the Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, These came out in 1990. Uh, Issues number 13, 14, and 15. Yes. Looking forward to it. And they should have just been two issues, but we'll talk about that later, but it's three. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of uh, excessive filler stretching out the story. That could have been one issue. But we, uh, we shall continue on and, uh, and take part in this uh, smorgasbord of comic book delight. Shall we start out with the first one? Let's do it, Ken. Okay. This is issue number 13, title The Hand of the Assassin, published date October 1990. Creative team is mostly the people we've been seeing working the next-gen stuff. Michael Jan Freeman, Pablo Marcus uh, is the penciler, Michael Jan Freeman, the writer. Letters by Bad Pintnaha. Colorist is Juliana Ferreter, and editor is Robert Greenberger. The cover shows Counselor Troy's head and shoulders taking up the majority of the left half of the cover. The right is a woman convulsing in pain on a transporter pad. She looks to be in great pain. Wesley and Miles O'Brien are also on the cover. Below O'Brien's head are three playing cards, Ace of Spades, Queen of Hearts, and Queen of Clubs. The text, Hand of the Assassin, are at the top of the page. The inside title page shows Picard at the head of a long rectangular conference table with seven seated Alien humanoids. They all appear to be of the same race. Most have bald heads with brightly colored and diverse clothing. These are civilians. Troy, Riker, Worf, and a fourth crewman are standing behind the seated Picard. The title Hand of the Assassin is placed over the conference table. Picard's log tells us the people seated at the table are from Domac. Two queens and their delegations are seated across the table from one another. Picard welcomes the delegations to the Enterprise and states his hope is that the talks to take place will be fruitful and of lasting value. The two daughters of the recently deceased queen are at each other's throats trying to take over the throne. They each have reasonable claims that they viciously assert. If a resolution is not found, the Domacleon royal sisters could lead the planet into civil war. The Federation offered the Enterprise to be neutral ground for peace talks. The delegations have come aboard unarmed but still dangerous. Adding to the complexity of the situation is the Domacleon's telepathic ability to influence other species, particularly species unaccustomed to such manipulation. Picard, Riker, Worf, Troy, and others are all unarmed in the conference room and ordered to watch each other for signs of mental tampering. As if their task was not hard enough, having to watch each other for perhaps very subtle tampering splits their attention in many directions. One of the delegation named Zadeus speaks of compromise and stopping unpredictable bickering while he unhatches his own murderous plan. He is using his mental powers to influence Chief O'Brien, who is stationed in the transporter room. When his duty shift ends, O'Brien is accosted in the hall by Zedeus in an incorporeal form. He is apparently successful in brainwashing O'Brien into planning to use the ship's transporter to kill Madrians and allow the daughter Aliana and her entourage to escape any blame. O'Brien is to make it look like an accident and promptly forget all the particulars of the murder. 
O'Brien states that he will fight Zadeus, but apparently that promise of a fight does not result in much, at least not right now. After the discussions have gone on for quite some time, Picard suggests that they call it a day and gets agreement from both sides on at least that idea. After the Domox leave the conference room, Picard tells Riker that great treaties have been started with less agreement than that. Riker asks if they were perhaps overzealous with their extreme security measures. Picard says perhaps, but first impressions can be deceiving. Riker brings up the fact that Domox are known for a particularly bloody brand of politics. Later in 10 Forward, Deanna is speaking to Worf. She assures him she has not detected any mental tampering with him or his security team. While Troy is focusing on the security team, Picard and Riker, O'Brien passes closely to by their table. Ironically, she is not looking at the only person compromised by the Domox. Riker speaks to O'Brien about their regular poker game, which he is late for. Though Sedeus would prefer to keep O'Brien out of the game, he judges he cannot do so without drawing suspicion. Let the games commence. O'Brien attempts to communicate that something is wrong by sitting to the left of the dealer, which surprises Geordi since O'Brien normally sits to the right of the dealer for luck. Zadeus congratulates O'Brien's cleverness, but influences him to say that he is sitting on the unlucky side to give the other poor players a chance of success. Crewman Farthol comes by to observe the game. O'Brien invites him to watch over his shoulder and learn from a pro. O'Brien bets big on a mediocre hand that Riker ends up beating. After three days of negotiations, Picard is at the negotiations table restarting or restating the current proposal to the two delegations. The Northern Hemisphere will be ruled by Queen Aliana, while the South by Queen Madriana. Both queens say they are cooling to the proposal and need more time to consider their options. Picard proposes they meet again in two weeks' time on the Enterprise or another appropriate neutral vessel. They all agree and move to depart the ship. In the transporter room, O'Brien is ready to transport the delegations down when they arrive in the room. Meanwhile, in engineering, crewman Farthol asks Geordi if he can ask a few questions about the poker the other night. Geordi agrees. Farthol asks, why did O'Brien throw down one of his two queens if two queens is a good way to start out a poker hand? Indeed, if O'Brien held onto the two queens, he would have beaten Riker's pair of tens. Geordi says there's no reason O'Brien in his right mind would have done that if there was no particular possibility of a flush or a straight. After thinking more about it, Geordi puts two and two together and calls Picard, saying he needs to speak to him immediately. Picard asks if, he, if Geordi can wait until the delegations beam down to the planet. Geordi says to stop O'Brien from beaming down the Domax. Overhearing the exchange, Zadeus tells O'Brien to activate the transporter. Riker springs into action and cold cocks O'Brien, which prevents him from initiating the deadly transport cycle. Queen Madriana is saved. In frustration, Zadeus shouts, Perfect! in the conference room, gaining the attention of Troy and Queen Aliana. Sensing the jigs up, Zadeus admits his plan to kill Madriana to Aliana. Aliana chastises him, saying that she learned nothing can be gained by fighting Madriana, but apparently he has not learned that. The truth all comes out and both delegations leave the ship safely. Later, crewman Farthol and Wesley are speaking together in, the, in a lounge. Farthol is chastising himself for not recognizing what O'Brien was trying to tell him sooner. Wesley begins to respond when O'Brien walks up and asks Farthol to join them for their next poker night. Farthol is surprised at the invitation and that O'Brien is not angry with him. O'Brien tells Farthol he can play in his game anytime he wants. The end. That was the worst Miles O'Brien imitation I've ever heard. 
Well, that wasn't not that was not meant to be uh, an imitation <laughs> of him. I know. I would have started. I would have tried to start or sound Irish, but um, no, that no. I, I was actually trying to be more like a 1950s smarmy kind of, uh, you know, dad or something, because uh, it's like what, what is it? O'Brien tells Farthold he can play in his game anytime he wants. I mean, I don't know. It's, it just seems kind of. Yeah, I'm an odd thing to say. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of this issue. No, me neither. So it starts off with a cover with uh, Troy O'Brien and Wesley. Yes. And in my opinion, maybe not your opinion, <laughs> but this is the last time we will see O'Brien look remotely like Colmini. Yes. Well, uh, well, even in this issue. Yeah, I mean, even in this issue, it doesn't look like like Colomini. Oh, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. The cover is it. Oh, Once the cover, you... right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Once Actually, the, the, the cover page, isn't bad. Right. He looks. Like he looks like a, a freak. He's got he's got this huge forehead. Oh my god, and his eyes aren't right. I mean, ew. It, he looks doesn't look good at all. Yeah, no, he looks really, really bad. I was theorizing they were so used to drawing the Domax who have huge craniums. I mean, that, that, I mean, maybe that's why they're trying to get at the fact they've got tele, telekinetic powers because uh, they've got these big brains. But, uh, like, Colomini's head is kind of drawn big, a little bit like the Domax also. Well, I mean, throughout this whole series, um, O'Brien's head has been overly large, and we've commented on it a time or two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, no. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not great. So, anyways... Um. Oh, go ahead. You had something. Oh, I I was just I was just kind of surprised this was a single issue story. I mean, I'm glad it was a single issue story because I wouldn't have wanted to go through two two uh, issues worth. But no, I mean, I've been, we'll, I've been so used... we'll get that in with issue fourteen and fifteen. Yes, where... yes we will. We'll, we will, won't we? Where they spread out of one issue into two. Yeah, I I've kind of gotten used to seeing the two and three part, actually often three part story arcs. Um, from the series, so I was kind of surprised when it was just self-contained in one issue. It's like, oh, oh, okay, yep, yeah. And, I mean, and I mean, no offense to uh, Michael J. and Friedman, but these three stories that we're reading this this week, they're not the same quality that we've had for the first twelve issues of the series. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm just these three just seem like they're just kind of thrown together and they could have been on a sitcom (laughs) any given sitcom like it's just your oh here's the random mind control episode and next week we're going to get the the random kidnapping episode i mean uh the next issue i mean it's just it's just really formulaic and, and i was a little disappointed yeah well they can't all be winners you know yeah i guess so uh i was also surprised they had wesley on the cover I mean, he really doesn't have any part in this until pretty much the end. And really, you know, he's just talking uh, to Farthol at the end. Right. Um, well, so I, I was really kind of surprised he was on the cover. I had to give him some, some cover time sometimes. Well, yeah, but why not on an issue that, I mean, he's been prominent in, in several issues, uh, but not so much this one. But they, they slap him on the cover. Eh, whatever. Yeah. Yep, I got you. So you kind of mentioned this elaborate, I'm going to watch you, you're going to watch him, he's going to watch her. And, yeah. Uh, didn't that, that just seemed incredibly elaborate and, and didn't make any sense at all because I mean, we've, <laughs> we've seen that Troy can read minds through. Um, or read emotions. Com- or I mean, something. but they could be in another ship and she can yep. sense what they're feeling if they're talking to them through the view screen. So. They could have had her on the other side of the ship watching a security camera and not have to have this elaborate you watch him, you watch, he watches you, I watch both of you kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and, and not only that, it's fundamentally flawed, right? Because, I mean, how many people can Troy keep track of? Um, and obviously that weakness in that plan was exploited uh, because they just went, well, who else is involved in things? Okay, how about the transporter chief? So it's like, I mean, it had fundamental flaws in, in the plan. 
multiple right. fundamental flaws. Hundreds of people are on the on the Enterprise, you know. Yeah, and how did they know O'Brien was going to be the one on on duty when when they leave? Because exactly. I kind of exactly. get the feeling that this took over this took several days. Oh yeah, they, they stayed on the on the ship the whole time, which I thought was weird. Yeah, well, it was at least three days worth of negotiations. I think they mentioned. Right, but I mean, you, you can beam home anytime. And, yeah, so that you can sleep in your own bed, yep. eat dinner with the family. <laughs> but instead, you're going to stay on the ship for three days. That didn't make sense. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, I was ready for them to beam down the first day. I yeah, mean, me too. When, you know, when, they, they, when the card suggested to break things up for the day, I thought right then they were going to have something maybe happening. But then when they had additional days of, of negotiations going on, I said, oh, oh okay. Not going to happen for a while. Makes sense. Too early in the issue anyway. Right. So, what'd you think of the card game? Um, I thought the card game was typical, formulaic, um, you know, next-gen card game. Now, uh, was O'Brien part of their poker team? Because I don't not remember usually. him being in there. No. But they had different people swapping in, depending upon who they wanted to, uh, you know, who they wanted to, to get some face time. Yeah. But usually it wasn't, it wasn't him. Yeah, so I mean, all this talk about oh, you're the almighty card player, O'Brien. Oh right. I, right, I was just right, like, right. really? I know that oh, wow. he likes darts, but that's <laughs> uh, that's late. <laughs> that's a different. That's a different uh, uh, series. Anyways, I thought that was weird. And then what really, really bothered me was that they stealed the card. Uh, Jordy deals the cards, and he says, "We're going to keep it easy. We're going to keep it simple. We're going to play just a quick game of five card stud." And I'm like, okay, five cards dead. And then the very next panel is like, I'll take three cards. And I'm like, that's that's not stud. That's draw. You're playing five card draw, not five card stud. Oh, right. Because I was, I was stud, not aware of that difference. Stud, you don't get more cards. You get the five cards you were dealt, and that's it. Ah, I apparently I've never played stud then. Because I've never played poker where you didn't get to draw some cards. Right. That's so, our draw. Well. Man. Then I've never played I've never played uh, stud then. Hmm. Well, maybe I've I'm... never played a game where I where you did not draw some cards. I mean that's that's when you get your second chance to bet or to raise. But yeah, yeah. So, anyways, well, I have two things. Do it. One Riker on page nine. Yeah, let me. He's uh, in the right in the middle. It's, he says, uh, "Could we have been a little overzealous in terms of security?" And right. he's giving this weird hand gesture. And if you've spent any time in the UK, you'll know that that's an inappropriate hand gesture to, <laughs> to be flipping to a Englishman, which <laughs> Picard is. <laughs> well, he's French, really. But, well, he's an Englishman playing a Frenchman, so it makes true. it all the worse. <laughs> you know, now, now that you mention it, yes. But you don't know that he's actually moving his two fingers towards him. Yeah, we don't Is it, know. Isn't that part of it? I don't think so. I think it's just, uh, you, you know. You, 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 like, move have... it up. Yeah, okay, so so his hand, the palm of his hand is facing a Riker, and he's got his two, his index finger and his middle finger up in the air. Right, and, and it, it looks like a reverse yeah. peace sign. Exactly, that's exactly what it is. Um, now, what that has to do with what he's talking about, I don't know, but good point. Yeah, he's not so, even counting, so I don't even know why he's doing the two fingers <laughs> up. But is, isn't it normally where you... And when I was in the UK, I never saw anybody do this. I guess everybody was pretty uh, you know, pretty civil. But don't, don't you kind of like, like lift in the air a little bit, or am I confusing that with uh, flipping somebody the bird? Well, I don't know. Uh I know that you can just do the two fingers because right. I did it in the office one time. And, you know, they asked me what time my flight left, and I just held up yeah. my fingers. But they <laughs> the were wrong towards way. me, like two. And then they were like, back at you, man. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I found out about it. Back at you, mate. <laughs> but I, just, just, I thought it was funny because the whole origin of that comes from uh, the French-English War. Because the English uh, were, you know, the longbowmen, yeah, and they okay. take out the French. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. And when the French captured an English soldier, they would cut off those two fingers. Ouch. And when the English would win, they would taunt the French by showing them those two fingers, saying, ha-ha, you didn't get my fingers kind of thing. Uh-huh. And then that kind of morphed into the, you know, you know, the F-U. more of just screw you kind of thing. Right. There you go. Right. right. But uh, I don't know. I just thought it was funny. And then I thought it was even, you know, I'm just getting a little chuckle on it that it was that if that was really Patrick Stewart, that he's an Englishman playing a Frenchman. And those are the two countries that were involved in the origin of that that gesture. Uh huh. There you go. Pretty cool. huh? Pretty cool. All right. And then the last thing I had. You're making lemonade from lemons. Go. (laughs) Page 19. uh, When Jordy is telling Picard not to allow the queen to beam away. Right. Um, they've kind of. I think they kind of screwed up on the um, the word balloon. Okay. Because it's the little jaggedy, as if it was Jordy talking to Picard, but it's supposed to be Picard saying, "Can it wait, Commander? We're just about to return Queen to her planet." Mm-hmm. Yep. That That's should be saying. Picard, but it's the communication bubble. Yeah, without any particular uh, little little lines indicating where it comes from, who's who's speaking it. Yep. So, yep. ergo, coming from the speakers in the ceiling, whatever. Right. Good point. Obviously, not where that 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 line should be coming from. Exactly. And and may I may I mention that since we're on this page and right across from it on page twenty, doesn't Riker isn't Riker a little bit overly vigorous about taking O'Brien out? <laughs> I mean, he's got this superhero, um, his entire upper body into this punch. It's like he it looks like he, he would have broken uh, O'Brien's jaw, keeping him away from doing the transportation. Yeah, she, he wailed on him pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can I just mention this, too? And I, I guess I never noticed this on the TV show, but in all these issues where Pablo's doing the, uh, the drawings... Um, the bottom of the uh, Federation uniforms, mm-hmm. um, it, the, the bottom of the legs, is cut on an angle, and it's edged in the color of whatever your upper tunic is. So if you are command, you're red, and the bottom of the pants are, are kind of cut in an interesting way, and it's edged in, in the red uh, of the tunic. Is that... That's the way it was in the TV series, and I never noticed all these years. Yeah, huh? And I've seen you in one of these costumes. I, I can't imagine that its no. its legs were any different. The, <laughs> it was because it was a regular pair of pants. <laughs> I mean, you, you think I actually went out and bought black pants without pockets? Forget about it. <laughs> okay, I got the shirt. Digging on the shirt, but it's like it's just normal pants. No, yeah, that's that's the way it was. Uh, I think they got away from it uh, towards um, towards the end of the series. Yeah, but yeah, in the in the beginning, like season two and three, this is what they look like. Okay, cool. I wasn't ever a big fan. It kind of looked like bell bottoms that were cut off, kind of thing. Yeah, they're yeah. I mean, they're they're longer in the back of this of the pants, and then kind of cut off upward as it goes towards the front crease. Of the pants. Anyway, everybody out there knows what it's like. I guess it's just my not noticing it. Well, they don't show a lot of the feet on the on the series. Well, that's true, but uh, there's a lot of shots you see the full, you know, somebody standing up. You see their full form. It's right. further away, but still. Okay. Yep. That's, All that's right. what I got. Shall we keep going? Let's do. All right. So I get the honors this time. Uh, you do. Issue number 14 came out December 1990, entitled Holiday on Ice. <laughs> sounds like the Ice Capade show, right? It sounds like some old um, singing, dancing, 40s musical kind of uh, movie. You know, we were talking about Star Trek the Opera. That's one thing that <laughs> we really need to bring. Do a touring Star Trek on Ice uh, show. Oh, wow. That would be really... No, that wouldn't be good at all. Are you telling me you wouldn't take your kids to see that? I would. No, because my kids wouldn't go. We would be there and shooting the phasers up in the air. It'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when the kids were younger, we 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 they did kind of dig on uh, Star Trek. They particularly like Data, so we used to watch Star Trek Next Gen 
a bit, but now thirteen and 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 seventeen, that they they don't bother with Star Trek. Yeah, that's Damn too bad. It. And they certainly wouldn't go to an opera or a uh, ice capades <laughs> version. Oh, they're lost. I can't wait. All right, so the cover, or actually the credits are all the same, so we won't go into that. Uh, the cover shows Riker and Geordi racing across the frozen snow dunes on a weird sailboat-looking sled. They're each on their own sled. Uh, they look like a sail glider type thing. It's, it's like a parasail, a water parasail, but it's on snow, which is very cool. And they almost look kind of like snail shells, kind of. They look kind of, kind of an organic look to them. Oh, you mean the, the boards? Yeah. Yeah, and they do kind of they the, the tops of them seem to come up a bit towards where the uh, where the sail comes up. Right. Anyway, good. So, anyways, parasails, good job. I couldn't think of what they were called. All right. So uh, the title on the cover says "On a Quiet Shore Leave." Don't bet on it. So the story starts off uh, where the cover was leading us to. Riker and Geordi are enjoying a snow sailing ride on a vacation planet called Grindelwald, or Grindelworld. Riker is showing off his Alaskan-born talents, while Geordi is a uh, quick study, and he's able to keep up with the professional just fine. Perhaps he gets a little too cocky, though, and he has a huge wipeout. Laughing it off, he gets up, dusts the snow off, and they uh, start off again. On the Enterprise Bridge, Picard and Crusher are discussing how Grindelwald is it, is it Grindelwald or Grindelworld? Grindelwald. I think it's Wald. Grindelwald. Yeah. Picard and Crusher are discussing how Grindelwald has foregone all in industry to preserve itself as an all-natural planet, even though they are sitting on a huge supply of trilinium. Picard even goes so far as saying that he envies the natives in their simple lifestyle. Back on the planet, Geordi and Riker have lost all track of time and are several hours overdue on returning their snow sleds. Uh, they are also way off course. As they are about to turn back and head back to the, I guess it's some sort of lodge, uh, they notice a huge building off to the distance. Knowing that it could not be native to the planet since they don't build constructions like that, they decide to investigate. Elsewhere, an off-duty wharf is speaking to Wesley and O'Brien. Wesley is building a huge structure made out of glass playing cards. He is working up on the 10th level when Worf criticizes O'Brien for not being able to build one larger than Wesley. O'Brien takes offense to this and challenges Worf to try to, um, try to uh, top Wesley. Reluctant to give over his creation, Wesley uh, offers uh, Worf to uh, continue his, his building. Worf takes the first piece, and just before he's about to place it on top of the structure, he sees a floating fish-looking thing and ends up knocking over the whole building, and it shatters into a million pieces. Uh, his only response to this is, Flawed Materials. Back at the strange building, Riker and Geordi are about to enter the building. They talk a bit about how they don't have their normal communicators, and that these low-range communicators that they got from the snow sailing rental place uh, just aren't cutting it, and they can't get a hold of the ship or the the. I guess it's some sort of lodge, but it never actually says where everybody else is. Uh, they're about to enter the building when they get attacked by an energy whip, but we don't see who's whipping them just yet. So meanwhile, at a very busy nightclub, Troy and Data are sharing a drink. Troy tells Data that he is very romantic, even if he does not have an actual heart. Just then, a one-eyed gentleman offers to dance with Troy. She refuses his advances, saying that she would, uh, she's already with the most romantic man in the club. Why would she want to settle for slappy seconds? Back on the planet, we see who the wielder of the energy whip is, and it's none other than a group of Ferengi. The two Starfleet officers try to make a run for it and split up, but the Ferengi outnumber them, and they eventually strike them with the whips and knock them out. 
On the ship, Crusher, Guinan, Dr. Salar, and a random crewwoman talk about ice fishing, of all things. And then Guinan starts to tell them a story about exploring the frozen wastelands of Rakatoot 2. On the planet, Riker and Jordy awake to find themselves in a large ice hole. That's ice hole. I'm not going to bleep that out. Uh, they find that the useless communicators are missing and that they see that there's a lone Ferengi standing guard above them to be continued. Mm-hmm. Ice hole, huh? Ice hole. <laughs> as long as your pronunciation's right, there's no problem here. Uh, I, I, I didn't think of it being a, anything other than an ice hole until I said it out loud and I was like, ooh, that kind of sounds like something else. <laughs> Anyways, this story is – I don't want to use a bad word uh, – silly and drawn out. Uh, drawn out, yes. I, I, I don't know if I'd word, use the word silly. Well, so. it's silly in that they have, what, four pages, three pages of Worf trying to build a – or take over this glass card house. Right. And then there's like three pages dealt with the women talking about ice fishing. Well, I mean, the book's only 22 pages long, and you've just spent, you know, yeah, more than a quarter of it with storylines that aren't going anywhere, and they're just filler. May I, may I give you my opinion? Yes. I find the uh, wharf, little, little wharf uh, co- comedic opportunity, I like that. Did and you? and I always liked when Michael Dorn got a chance to do uh, to do the comedy thing on the TV show because uh, I always thought that his, you know his extreme uh, gruffness and, and big he man kind of thing I thought that was pretty funny when he would uh, be the butt of jokes so I love that on, on on the original TV show and even though they didn't have the benefit of Michael Dorn um, you know acting it out they had to do it via drawings and what the dialogue was. I liked it. I thought it was cute. Uh, I thought it was funny. Okay. Now, as far – just, it's just a personal opinion. Uh, but it is filler. I completely agree there. However, if you have filler that socks, then that's not good, which is definitely what this um, STNG version of The View is <laughs> to me. So it's like, okay, so yes. So maybe you don't get enough – lady stuff happening and you know a lot of the star trek stories tend to be a little bit more testosterone you know with the guys out there doing something you know uh as they do in, in, later on when they get Riker back uh, and Jordy but yeah i mean it's like oh god the lady just sitting around talking stuff talking about pregnancy and all this kind of stuff or maybe oh, pregnancy that's, that's the, next, the next issue that's the next one so it's like good lord you know did somebody write in and say you've got nothing for the ladies it's like I don't care. Sorry. Well, and it it's they're talking about ice fishing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are, aren't they? What's the point of that? I agree. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I yeah. And then uh then Guinan's going to tell her story and I was thinking to my, thinking to myself, "Oh my god. Don't I when I turn this page, you would better not have Guinan going off for two pages worth of talking about some story about some ice planet or something. Thank God they didn't. Tons of filler. But if the filler can be entertaining, it's fine. Uh, not fine uh, in, in a lot of the filler here. And in the next issue. Right. Yeah, I, I I really feel like maybe this was supposed to be one story, one issue, and then they stretched it out for some reason. I don't know. That's yeah. just guessing on my part right all right before we go away from the whole uh you know crystal you know stacking crystals kind of thing um that little creature that was diverting Worf's attention yeah uh, yeah it was a little tiny kind of purpley kind of creature i mean uh, you know, you originally you thought, oh, maybe it's like a like an insect or something. But you're looking at it, and it's like it's like a little uh, Doctor Seuss creation or something. It's like, uh, like a, little, what... a little who is like like floating towards uh, Worf's face or something. And it was like I, that was weird. That yeah, that, I... that, that could, got my attention. It's like, what the heck is that? Anyway, 
Yeah, I thought it was. It reminded me of the fish in Cat in the Hat. Okay. okay. That's why I just went with fish. But right. yeah, I don't know what it is exactly. <laughs> anyway, good timing for it. And then especially when Worf starts saying, uh, or Wesley warns him, you know, don't talk while you're doing it. And then, then Worf is like, oh, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. And it's like everything crashes. I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, well, it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going overboard, Ken. I'm just not going there on this. I liked I liked when Riker and Jordy uh, put on their superhero moves when they barrel over the three Ferengis um, that were guarding the illegal uh, drilling rig. Yeah, uh, where they're just like barrel rolling into them. We're not really rolling, but plowing through they they are practically horizontal as they're going forward uh and they're able to knock them over and get past them yeah Riker especially looks like the flash (laughs) (laughs) good point good especially with their uh with their outfits on because their outfits are kind of well it's it's some kind of a, a thermal special suits to protect them from the cold Although I must say that their hair, which of course always looks perfect, especially Rikers, um, it, you know, that, all that that warmth must be going right out of his head. I mean, this is obviously a very icy environment, and they got the fancy outfits. And so the fancy outfits with the red and blue, almost like a Spider-Man, almost kind of like a color scheme, um, they especially look superhero-like in those outfits. And they have the... They have a Federation communicator, or what looks like a Federation communicator. A small one. Yeah. A teeny tiny one. Well, it's it's the normal size. Is it? It looks yeah. small. It almost looks like a, like 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 a little medallion or something in the you know in the uh, middle of beneath their chins. Well, it looks like a normal size one, but yeah, it's like square in the middle of their chest, almost where you would put a superhero emblem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, but but they, you mentioned the uh, the cold and how the, all the warmth is leaving their their heads. Right. Uh, you've spent some time in the cold. In this outfit, what's the one feature on them that's going to get the coldest? It's either their nose or their ears because they're completely uncovered. They're, and, their heads are completely uncovered, right? Right. But I would assume that the Ferengi would also have that issue, considering that they have giant lobes. <laughs> Right. Yeah, they don't have earmuffs either. They're walking around like normal. Yeah. And you really don't know how cold it is. Now, at least with the Ferengi, they're not, like, clipping along at, like, 40 miles an hour or something on these uh, <laughs> these snow parasails. Good I point. mean, from, from skiing experience, between the wind and the cold, uh, Riker and Geordi should be freezing. Um, <laughs> where at, at least the at least the Ferengis are just walking around. But yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. But you got to look cool. They do look cool. They do look cool. So uh, I had one one other comment, and it's more of maybe just uh, ignorance on my part. But uh, Troy tells Data that why would I want to settle for sloppy seconds when I have you? <laughs> when uh, the guy hit on her and she, you know, sent him on his way. What what does that mean? Because <laughs> well, I know one thing of, it means. My definition I, of what that means has nothing to do with what just happened there. Yeah. Well, I, I quite frankly, I think uh, I think Friedman used some very interesting uh, wording <laughs> here. Yeah, because because you know I, I'm going off my uh, definition that I learned from the great 80s film Porky's. <laughs> That's where I learned that term and uh-huh. uh, I haven't ever heard any other definition but that one. Oh, that's the only definition I'm aware about also. Yeah, which and uh if yeah. anybody listening wants to know what that definition is, uh, oh, you can look I it up. I think they know it. <laughs> Odds are. Uh, unless there are some youngins here. Uh, and you know th- th- this guy that gets turned down by Troy. I mean, he's a he's a good-looking blonde guy, inexplicably with an eye patch. Uh, <laughs> it's like what 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 possesses her to think that Data needs to needs to be to have an ego pump up? I mean, it's like what where's this coming from? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, if it was broccoli or something or some character or Jordy, 
that that you know was was on was on a uh, a romance uh, slump. That's fine, but it's Data. He's a robot. What's yeah, definitely, definitely, Jordy would have been a better fit there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now I just thought it was weird, and then when she says that, I'm like, what? <laughs> when she says that, yeah. I'm like, Data, what's going on here? <laughs> it's it's another it's another Yar situation. I I think in the making. Oh, you think so? No, mm. I uh, don't. But <laughs> but you know. Data is fully functional. He is anatomically correct. You're right. Right. And not only anatomically correct, but fully functional. That's right. And programmed with many techniques. <laughs> Isn't that what with multiple techniques or something. Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Data, you are a madman. <laughs> okay. All right. That was the last comment I had. Me too. Okay, shall we go on to number three? To find out what happens to Riker and Jordy. Yes, let's. Okay, so issue number 15, Prisoners of the Ferengi, is the title. It's January 1991, so we have passed forward into the next year. Uh, same people are involved. Uh, synopsis. The cover shows a Ferengi looking a little like Indiana Jones, deploying a neurotic whip at the reader. The head of a second Ferengi that looks a lot like Nog from Deep Space Nine is to the left of Whip Guy. Below the big Nog head is Deanna, Worf, and Wesley standing next to each other. Geordi and Riker's heads take up most of the right portion of the cover. Uh, lettering at the top of the page says, Prisoners of the Ferengi. The inside title page is a single panel that features Data on one knee quoting lines from Romeo and Juliet to a group of seven enthralled crew women. Two crewmen look on in dismay. A crew woman is telling Troy how Data has a certain charm she has not seen before. Deanna says she is happy she could point it out to Data. Worf enters the room asking what the devil's going on. Deanna explains her attempts to nurture Data's romantic side were far more successful than she expected. Worf asks if she has seen Riker and LaForge, to which Deanna says no. Worf states it's getting dark on the side of the planet where they are, and they told the equipment rental station people that they would be only out for a half day. Worf begins to suspect they might be in trouble. Meanwhile, on the planet Grindelwald, Riker and Jordy are in an ice pit prison. Riker unsuccessfully attempts to tell their Ferengi guards that Jordy is sick and needs help. They laugh at him for the age of the ruse, and even Jordy gives Riker a hard time. The, te the temperature is dropping, and the cold is getting through their protective gear. They try to come up with a fresher escape plan. On the Enterprise, in Picard's office, Worf is on Skype video call with the captain. Yes, yet another product placement for crass commercialism. The check is in the mail to me. Okay, so Worf gets permission from Picard, from him and Data, to lead a search party for Riker and LaForge. Picard enters the bridge and orders Wesley to initiate a sensor sweep in a 50-kilometer circle around the shore leave site. In the ice pit, Riker and LaForge come up with a plan to, so they start whistling to possibly attract a giant snow bat, which the locals had warned them, warned them about, uh, are attracted by whistling. They are not sure exactly what it will do, but at least it will probably cause some commotion they could use to their advantage. The Ferengi are annoyed by the sudden loud whistling from the humans. They tell them to stop and move to the edge to whip them. When a huge green bat flies over the pit and knocks one of the Ferengi guards into the pit. The second Ferengi loses his footing and falls in also. Using the ironic whips, Riker and LaForge start to whip notches in the icy pit walls. They form a ladder which they use to escape the pit. Out of the pit, and armed with neuronic whips, Riker makes it clear that they still need to find out what's going on, so their trip home will have to be delayed a bit longer. 
Back on the Enterprise, Beverly conducts an appointment with two crewmen who are expecting a baby. Lots of prenatal care is discussed and is irrelevant to the main story at hand. Wharf Data and their guide, Administrator Marks, and a fourth person are jetting above the snowy ground on high-speed levitation sleds in search of Riker and LaForge. Picard calls down to them, informing them of a structure four miles due north of them where the Grindel Waldens have no facilities. Sensors indicate possible life forms and another familiar life form. Four miles due north of their position, Riker and Geordi are approaching the Ferengi facility. Riker thinks he knows what it is, but knows they need to get inside to confirm. He attacks two Ferengi guards using the Neuronic Whip and knocks them both cold. They enter and find a Ferengi pit mining operation. Uh, meanwhile, Worf's search team arrives at the site and are off their sleds. As they approach the building, they find Riker and Geordi's parasailing snowboards. The administrator does not believe what he is seeing and says they need to get back and inform the authorities. Worf and Data say they must stay to rescue their comrades. The administrator declines to take part in the adventure until Data shames him into joining them uh, using some somewhat subtle um, mental manipulation. Riker and Geordi get into the mining rig and witness the roof open to admit another Ferengi shuttle. They determine that the Ferengi have probably been moving into this area, mining all the trillium ore, filling in the mine pit with water, letting it ice over, and moving on to the next mining location for years. They transport the ore via shuttle to larger ships outside of the system. The Ferengi have taken advantage of the lack of sophisticated security equipment on the pristine world to escape detection. They now have all the evidence they need and begin to leave when they are spotted and attacked by many Ferengi. After putting up a good fight, they are overwhelmed and taken down again. Just when things look grim, Worf's team enters through the open roof, phasers blazing, to insert themselves between Riker and Geordi and the Ferengi. While the attacking Ferengi are kept at bay by the threat of phaser fire, the administrator and his companion take Riker and Geordi on their levitating sleds. Once they are off the ground, Worf goes on the attack, while Data gives the administrator's sleds cover fire for their escape out the roof. Worf takes off to improve their tactical situation. He flies up to the Ferengi shuttle and shoots his phaser at it. It comes down to the ground within the trilling platform and explodes with a mighty kaboom. The rest are outside of the mine, mining platform when Worf joins them, barely escaping the burning structure. Picard hails them as they are flying back to the Grindel Walden's station. Data reports mission accomplished. Riker and Geordi are safe. The Ferengi were illegally mining ore, but they will not be doing so anytime soon. Picard conjectures the Grindel Waldens can take over from here and congratulates them on a job well done, and tells them to return to the ship since their shore leave is over, and his is scheduled to begin. Picard hopes his shore leave will be more peaceful. The end. Huh? Huh? That was good, man. Oh, well, at least we had some action towards the end. You made this story sound interesting. Ah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> really? No. Um, yeah. Well, you'll notice I skip over the continuing adventures of uh, of prenatal prenatal care and uh, you know the view. Anyway. Well, I thought I thought you hit on it pretty well. I mean, that's another what five pages of just Felger carb, random Felger carb. Yeah, I mean, you need to take lots of vitamins, and you might want to get a larger room one of these days <laughs> since you're going to have another kid. <laughs> it's like, who cares? How I'm sorry. long can I drag this out before we have to go back to the planet and actually get into some real story? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was very disappointed in that part. Yeah. Unless it comes back later, you know, maybe maybe I'm being overcritical and 
No. This, this kid and Data's swooning is going to uh, uh, play out in the future. I don't know. Well, it, Data, Data becoming Mr. Romance had better go somewhere. Otherwise, they're way wasting our time. And as far as this whole uh, couple that are having a kid, it's like, they better not come back to it. Because, <laughs> you know, I got the kids. I've been through all that. You know, I, well, kind of. I do not need to go through that again. I'm interested in action adventure, not um, what oxygen. What, what's what's that channel on cable? Oh, Whatever. Yeah, oxygen or O or something like that. Right. I'm sorry, ladies. Who you know, there there may be one or two ladies listening. You never know. Uh, but you know, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's move on. To something interesting. Anyway, sorry. So kind yeah. of interesting how uh, giant snow bats are green in color. You would think they'd be white, so they could. So blend you would in. think. So, so you would think, or at least not green. <laughs> I mean, bright green. I don't know. Yeah, they they look like like something that would be fighting the Hulk. <laughs> not only that, but you 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 think they'd be white, but also maybe have like some kind of fur. Cause, you know, because bats have fur. You know, real bats. Right. Uh, you know, a little bit of fuzziness to them because they're basically you know rats with wings. Sure. But um. But these guys look pretty clean, you know? It looks like a normal kind of really big bat uh, that's green with no apparent hair. Yeah, it, it's it's silly. I, I kind of like the idea of whistling and, and bringing them. I thought that was good. But uh, <laughs> aside yeah. from that, I was not overly impressed with the giant bat. Yeah. Now, I did think it was funny that Jordy gives Riker a hard time for trying to get them to fall for the he's sick, come down here and help him. How many times have Kirk Kirk and company done that? Well, not only that, but (laughs) I mean, I I, kind of wondered if this was Michael Jan Friedman's kind of way of poking fun at the miniseries, the Star Trek The Next Generation miniseries, where in, uh, I forgot the issue number, um, Issue number five, I think it was, that that they had some people in the brig, and one of them... Either oh, you're pretended... my Taz? No, the next generation. Oh, next generation. He's pointing, he's pointing fun at himself. Okay. Yeah, I don't... No, no, no. This was the miniseries that Michael Jan Freeman didn't write. The six-issue miniseries that we reviewed way back in issue no... oh, episode number Lord. four or something like that. Oh, God. You're bringing that... Okay, fine. Go ahead. Because it was the same ploy. There was like, oh... Guard, come in here. We got somebody well, sick, and then when the guard came in and, there, they and you think he's making you think he's making fun of that particular time. It's like God, they use that ploy all the time. I don't know. I just thought it was funny that he's making fun of it, and I'm like, but you guys fell for that already once in DC's run of your your show. <laughs> right, right. Well, I I think it's great he's finally calling, you know, calling the BS on it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, some sometimes the old ploys are the best ploys, but you know. They gotta not work eventually. Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was funny. It was a. It was a light moment, and I. I yeah. didn't mind it. No. no and uh, no, that, when they did finally get the whips, I did like how they used them to notch out handheld handholds. Right. So I thought that, that was that was good. Pretty good. Right. Uh, pretty much the rest of it. Eh. <laughs> well, I love those sleds. I would love to have some of those 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 those. Those levitating sleds—that'd be great. I know that you're you're probably too old to care about this, but in <laughs> in Masters I of pretty in, old, yeah. in, in Masters of the Universe, there was a yeah. toy of a uh, sled like this, yeah. and it looked right. almost exactly like this. Oh, was it? Yeah. And, yeah, I really uh, don't care. About I Masters spent of the many a, many an hour with my He-Man action figure flying that bad boy around. <laughs> so when I look at this, I'm thinking Masters of the Universe. Oh, well, that's too bad. But it looks like Data's like pooping himself when he's driving it. Mm-hmm. That, that one picture on page 13 when Data's talking and is he looks scared. Scared? I I I thought he looked like he was leaning back, like he was driving a vet or something. There on page uh, 13, right in the middle, okay, where it me... shows him in oh, profile. 13. Hold on, let me get to 13. Okay, 13. Yeah. Oh, when he's going really fast. Yeah. When he's going really fast? Well, I guess. I mean, well, they, they've, they've got it in the middle where he's driving and his hair's blowing back. Um, yeah, and he looks scared. Yeah, he looks, looks like he's going really fast. And he looks scared. He's like, no. Yeah. 
Well, it it looks like it looks like they are are driving vets because they are leaning back so far. They almost look like, you know, it looks like they're in a lazy boy and they got it pushed all the way back. But <laughs> they they look really cool. I'd love to have those. Although I must say, again, green. I don't know, I don't know what the preoccupation with the colorist is with green, but um, not so. I, I think I'd want to get it painted a different color. I think they got a they had a good deal on green that week. Green. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> comics did, so I think like so. Squeezing some more green in there. Exactly. Uh, but those, those, those things are cool. So they got little rockets out the back. So it makes them look fast. And of course the hair is blowing back big time. And then, well, are, so those are headlights out front? I guess there must be headlights out front. Or laser beams. No, well, they be laser beams. I was kidding. They wouldn't be laser. Yeah. But, but, but it almost looks like it's thrust coming out the front. But I think, it, I think it's the headlights. Oh yeah, you're right. In that one picture, it does look like something's coming out of it. Because there's, they were saying it was getting dark over there. But I must say, at no point in this does it look like night. (laughs) I mean, I don't think. No, the sky's always purple. Well, when they in that first picture where they're going down the gorge, it's black behind them, so it could be night there. But the rest of the background is purple. Right, and when you see, yeah, when you see the the sky, yeah, right. So. Um, towards the end, page 20, it should be good and dark by then, I think. Well, maybe not, I don't know. But, um, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, oh God, what is that? It's like a pink, a red pink sky. Because <laughs> uh, you're it seeing is. the silhouette of the, um, of the Frangi shuttle. So, I don't know. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, I agree. Purple sky, pink sky. Something. Looks weird. Definitely not night. Uh, so did you notice the uh, error on page uh, six? I did not. I did not notice any errors per se. Let's go to page six. So on page six, we have uh, Picard has just finished talking to Worf, who's told him that he and Commander Data were going to leave the lodge to go search for Riker. Right. So on page six, we have Picard coming in the uh, bridge. Go West- out of his office into the bridge. Yeah. Wesley right. turns around, says, I, sir. And sitting next to Wesley is Data. Oh, excellent point. Who was also on the planet at that exact <laughs> moment. <laughs> so how did Lore get up there? And I what, did not notice that at all. I don't get it. Or uh, or before. Either one. <laughs> yeah, it's before. That's Boy, an excellent no point, shine. man. <laughs> that's an excellent point yeah it threw me at first because I was reading and Worf just said Data and I are about to leave and then I turned the page and he's there and I'm like whoa <laughs> I guess they were just trying to see if we were paying attention which I apparently was not yep uh, that's actually my last comment except for the Ferengi look like giant piranha Oh, because of the teeth and the and the and the fuzzy outfits, or what do you mean? And, yeah, the teeth and the and their eye, their ears are like gigantic, especially on page twenty one. That was the page where I looked at it, and I'm like, he looks like a big piranha. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, I completely agree. I mean, not only piranha, but he looks like what a gremlin. What the oh, yeah. movie gremlin movie? Yeah, I mean, he looks he he looks freaky. He he does. I mean, obviously, it is a Ferengi. I mean, he looks like a Ferengi, but the way his his mouth is, absolutely huge, mm-hmm. and he's kind of smiling, and yeah, he 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 looks like something else. He looks like a, some kind of man bat or something, which I guess to some degree, Ferengis kind of look like that, but with the big ears. But yeah, but the ears are stupid, stupidly huge. <laughs> so we agree. Oh, I know who he looks like. He looks like that boy bat on the National Enquirer. Oh, you mean Bat Boy? Bat Boy found in Guyana or something. He does kind of look like Bat Boy. Bat Boy. So he's finally grown up and he's playing Ferengis in comic books. Exactly. Exactly. He's modeling. That's a move up from the cover of Weekly World News. Right, but he was on there a lot. Every is, every like once a, a year. Which is a very interesting. Uh, uh, Magazine, by the way. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, I more so liked the uh, 
the humor magazine that came out for a while that was a per it was a parody of it oh, that really? I like better that I like better so they had bat boy on that a lot <laughs> the, the parody <laughs> one okay so I got a question I guess Federation hand phasers are pretty strong since Worf is able to take down a, a shuttle with it. Yeah, Ferengi shuttle. Yep. Now, maybe he knew exactly where to hit it, uh, but I don't know. That, you know. Yeah, it's a hand, and, and, I mean, it's and, a hand phaser. How, how powerful could it be? I don't know. And he's all turned around while flying that thing, and he was able to shoot it and blow up he's the hole. He's good. He is good. Yeah. <laughs> so he's pointed away from it. So he's he's actually attacking it while he's flying. So he's flying towards it big arc and now he's flying away from it and now he's shooting at it he's and good we, he we all know good. that Worf is not a good shot oh well since when how many times did someone show up on the bridge and Worf oh, took a shot at him and missed him every single yeah. time well that's a good point the that's only time point. he could actually hit somebody was when it was the Borg and they had the shields <laughs> when it wouldn't help exactly yeah so uh, my last comment, I know I told you I had no more, but uh, you did. You lied. this this was the first comic of this series that didn't have the the weird opening um, with the the credits. It just had a normal box that had all the credits in it instead huh. of that big looks like the neck of a Federation officer with the pips right. and everything. Yep. No, interesting point. And I don't think that that ever comes back. I might be wrong, but. That might have been the last time we ever see it. Ah. Well, we'll find out in the coming weeks. So uh, stay what I, Exactly. What I want to know is, yet again, they show Will on the cover. Or, no, 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 Will, Wesley. Wesley. He's tiny, though. I know, but he's still on the cover. And, like, and yes, he is, he is in the comic. I mean, uh, Picard, Picard gives him orders. And he says, "I, it, sir." Does, yeah, exactly. Okay, so that's so that's all he says. So what's he doing on the cover? <laughs> Two issues in a row where he does almost nothing, and he ends up on the cover. Are, are, they, are they again trying to appeal to a younger audience? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's funny because Picard's not on any one of the either one of these covers either. Well, it's because he's old. He's not on any of these. All three of these, he's not on. Because he's old, and I will admit, Picard is definitely not the focal point of of, of definitely the second the, the the second and third one. Um, and the first one, he's in there. I mean, he's he's negotiating and stuff. Um, hmm. you know, that's a good point about Wesley being on the cover. I wonder if he is on the majority of the covers, and maybe that's why. Well, what other reason would there be? I mean, he was an okay character. He was moderately popular, I suppose. Um, but, I mean, definitely he was, compared to the other characters, uh, I don't think he was near as popular to justify all this cover time. Yeah. I'll tell you, when I was a kid buying a comic book, um, the the covers that had the cast on it was not the ones that I would be like, ooh, I got to pick that up. I would gravitate more towards the ones that had the ships on the cover. Ah, interesting. Yes. Well, I, I'm a big ship fan. I can, I can relate to that. Because, you know, you only had so many 75 cents or so many dollar fifties to spread around between all the comic books that came out that month. So right. you had to pick your battles. Exactly. And you like the battles with, uh, with ships. Yep. Even though... That necessarily had nothing to do with the story itself, but it had a cool cover. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, what else you got on this one? I got nothing. I got nothing, man. All right, so last week we did the Expanded Universe stuff for the last quarter of 1990, so I thought we would go through the Next Generation episodes that were coming out at this time. So this was Please the do. beginning of Season 4, which was like the end of Season th 3, Probably some of the best Star Trek, I would say. Starts off Agreed. with uh, Best of Both Worlds Part 2. I think oh, yeah. you're a fan of that one. Big time. Yep. I liked it. A little yeah, anticlimactic with the sleep. But 
what else could you have done? Yeah. So, uh, and th those are best of both worlds. I mean, those are obviously my favorite next gens. Yep, they're good stuff. And then, then it's followed up with family. Right. Which, Another good one. It is a good one now. As a kid, I didn't care for it that much because you, no. you just had an action story, and then now you're going to spend all your time on France with two old men fighting each other in the grapes. Exactly. But as an adult, I really like that one. Yes. Uh, the next episode, one of my favorites, Brothers, where Lore and Data find that uh, Soon is not dead and that they get the memory chip that Lore steals. Right. Was it I memory like chip or motion chip? Um, a motion chip, what'd I say? Memory chip. I was thinking of my PC, sorry. Next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. So please join us back next week when we go over original series number 16, 17, and 18. And until then, Ken and I say take care and talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.